Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here this weekend at Grace. A few folks find the seats still. You can help them do that. Great time to always remind you, if you're running a little bit late, you're always welcome here, but you're also welcome to go to our Montrose building, uh, which has the same service as we here have here at Gent. Uh, the music's a little more laid back. There's couches and coffee there, so it's a little bit more of a chilled environment, but you get to see me. And so uh, everything you ever wanted is right there. So uh, check that out. Those services always start a half hour later on Sundays uh, than the Gent building does. So Montrose building, half hour later, uh, you're always welcome there. But thanks for being here. Welcome everybody watching online. Uh, Thanks for being here as well. Happy Super Bowl weekend, or what I like to call the Brady Bowl. And so uh, excited for that. And I hope you have fun doing that this afternoon. Um, I'm looking forward, we're going to wrap up uh, this series that we've been talking about this weekend. And next weekend, we're going to go into a a series that's just going to be a couple weeks long and then another one that's going to be longer. But we're going to go into a season where we're talking about our identity as it relates to being a part of the church of Jesus Christ. So the Bible would teach us that when I accept Christ, the me becomes the we. I follow Christ and we follow Christ. And some of the things that we value and are important that show up in our individual lives as well as kind of our corporate life as a church. And then I'm going to take us into a time of great vision for us and some opportunities I believe God has before us. In my 25 years of pastoring, they're really unprecedented. I've never really seen these kind of opportunities before. So very excited to share those with you and to enter into those things together. And so I think it's going to be a a fun time, a great season for us as a church, and we'll kind of kick that off next weekend. This series that we've been in, Finding Our Way Back to God, has been a great series and an important one, and it's built off of a premise. So, so the premise is this, that, that there is a place that we're created to be. We've been calling it home. I'm created to be home, and that home involves me being connected to God the way that I was designed to be connected with God, right? So the Bible says I'm created in the image of God, that I find my purpose, my plans, my direction in life from my relationship with God. And when I'm connected to God the way that I should be, when I've received the forgiveness of my sins, when I'm following Christ as my Savior, that's when my humanity is kind of completed. It's when my life makes sense. And if I'm not home where I belong and where I was created to be, then life gets a little squirrely on me. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that all of us, like sheep, go astray, or the modern way that we would say that is we wander off. And when we wander off, when we wander away from home, that's when we're missing that peace and, and our souls become restless. There's, we wander away from home. Sometimes we do it on purpose and it's rebellion and we're just telling God, forget it, I'm going to go do my own thing. Sometimes it's distraction. It's soccer season and the basketball season and the baseball season. Sometimes it's pain. There's a bunch of different reasons why we wander away from home. But when we do that, we develop what we've been calling spiritual amnesia. I know that I knew, but I can't remember what I forgot, right? There's something missing, and I don't remember, but I know it's not there. 
And it doesn't matter the circumstances of our life. You can hit grand slam after grand slam, have everything you ever wanted on the planet and be depressed and lonely and insecure, or the world could have crashed in on you and you can be hopeless and desperate. It doesn't matter where we're at and all everything that's in between. If my soul is restless, if my soul is uncertain, so to say, then, then life will not make the sense that I want it to make. And when I find myself in that place, the Bible would say that the option is, if you want to take it, to go home. You can always go home where you belong. And if you choose to do that, God will be waiting for you. And what will God be like? Will he have his arms crossed and, and say, well, it's about time you got here, dummy. Will, will he wag his finger? I told you not. I told you what to do. You didn't listen to me. Will he turn his back? You do your penance, you pay your, your, your stupid tax, and maybe I'll let you back in. What's God like? And we've said that when we come home, God rejoices. He views us with compassion. He's rich in mercy. He lavishes his grace upon us. That's what he's like. And Jesus affirms this in Luke chapter 15, where we've been kind of camping, and he tells three different stories or parables to illustrate what God's like. He says, imagine if you're a shepherd and you got 100 sheep and one wanders off and the shepherd goes looking for it. When he finds that sheep, he's going to rejoice that the lost sheep is found. He says, so it is in heaven. When a sinner repents, when they turn around and come home, heaven rejoices. And then he says, well, imagine it this way. Imagine you have a coin that's very, very valuable and you lose the coin and you search and you find it you're going to rejoice. You're going to let everybody know. You're going to post that straight to Snapchat, right? That I found it. And he says, so it is in heaven when a sinner repents and comes home. The word repent just means to turn around. When they turn around and come home, the angels rejoice with that. God's excited that that happens. And then he uses a third illustration, the one we've been looking at kind of deeply. And he says, imagine there's a son or it could be a daughter who leaves home, wanders off, and they decide to come back. What's the father going to be like? He's going to wait for them. He's going to see them. He's going to, with compassion and joy, run to them, throw his arms around them, hug them, kiss them, and welcome them home. So we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. This is a great conversation. And what we've done is kind of step by step by step laid out how to find your way back to God. If you're out there, what the Bible calls a distant country, if you've wandered off, you're out there somewhere and you want to come home, we've kind of gone step by step through that illustration of the prodigal son or the lost son and shown you how to find your way back to home. So that, that's on the website. It's through the app. You can get a podcast. If you buy me sushi, I'll come to your kitchen and preach a sermon for you, right? It's all like available. So you, you, it's probably worth the listen or the watch to go through that, and you'll know how to find your way back to God. This weekend... I want to kind of complete this story of the lost son, and I want to jump in where we stopped last weekend. So last weekend, we stopped with this passage in Ephesians, and we learned this. Uh, God is talking about you and I, if we repent, if we turn around, come home and confess, we own our odor. And when the prodigal son came home, he said, Father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. He owned it. 
He wasn't like, if you had treated me different, if I wasn't unlucky, it was my friend's fault. He just owned his odor, right? He just like, I did it. When we repent and we confess and we're embraced by the Father and we embrace his embrace, we learn that what God is doing, his heart toward us is here in Ephesians chapter one. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The Bible says that when I make my way home, and I embrace God's embrace, that all that is true. God has God chosen ahead of time. While we're still in our sin, he's chosen to love us. He's chosen that if we'll come home to adopt us into sonship, to provide repentance, provide redemption and the forgiveness of sin, and to lavish his grace upon us, that's the relationship that's kind of waiting for us if we decide to go home. And when we embrace that, when we embrace God's embrace, it changes us. It changes our standing before God. It changes our identity before God. And it changes actually who we are as an individual. The Apostle Paul in another part of the Bible is writing on God's behalf again. And he says it a different way. He goes through this long list of sins before this verse I'm going to show you. And he says, let me just clarify who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says if it, that those who won't inherit the kingdom of heaven in part, partial list, is the idolater, the adulterer, the greedy, the gossip, the sexually immoral, the homosexual offender. Like they, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then the very next sentence, he says this, and that's what some of you were. He's writing to people who have repented. They were in their pig pen and they came to their senses like the lost son did. They turned around, they repented. They went to the father, they confessed, I own it. I put myself in the pig pen. I own it. And I, I was doing all these things and more, just a partial list. But I've embraced my father's embrace. And Paul says, when you do that, your identity changes. That's what some of you were. You were that pig pen, but you're not now because you've come home. You were that sin. That's what identified you, but you're not now because you've come home. And when you embraced my embrace, something spiritual happened. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what you were. It's what you did. It is not who you are. Because you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified by Christ. Now, those three words are, are, are Bible words. So let's just churchy words. So let's explain a little bit. What does wash, sanctified, justified mean? So Paul is saying, when I repent of my sin and I come to the Father and I confess, I own my odor, right? Because I still smell like the pig pen. That when I'm accepted by God, something spiritual happens to me. I am washed. Wash means I'm spiritually clean. I can't cleanse myself because I can't forgive my own sin. But God can cleanse me, and he does that thoroughly and completely. The Bible says he washes me whiter than snow. 
He takes my sin and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. He buries my sin at the bottom of the sea. God does that for me. I can't do that for myself. All I can do is come to my senses, repent, and confess my sin. And then he will faithfully and justly forgive me. He will wash me. He will cleanse me of all unrighteousness, the Bible says. So Paul says, it's not who you are, it's who you were, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified. Sanctified means set apart for God's use and God's glory. Before I repent of my sins and confess and come home, what I do in my sin is I set myself apart for my own use and my own glory. It's what the lost son did. Dad, give me the money. I gathered all that I have. He went to the distant country. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. The Bible says he squandered his money in wild living. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, and I want, I want Dad to pay for it. And before I repent and confess and come home, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. God, you bless my hopes, my dreams, and my desires. You make my wishes come true. I want you to make happen my life the way that I want to make it happen. I'm setting myself apart for my own use, and I want you to elevate me, God. I want, I want, not only do I want you to make my dreams come true, I want to be rich, I want to be healthy, I want a full head of hair, I want to be sexy, I want to be chiseled. I, basically, I want to be Jeff Bogue. That, that's what I want to have happen. And, and you have to do that miraculously, right? Because this is a gift from God. And so like, you have to do that, right? And that's what I want. I have plans and I have a desire. And God says, you're always going to go to the distant country with that. And in the distant country, there's always going to be a famine. And you're always going to wind up in your personal version of the pig pen. When I come to my senses, I repent, I come home, God, not me, you. Father, not me, you. That's what I was. It's not who I am. Why? Because I've been sanctified. The ownership, the identity, and the purpose of my life has been changed. So I'm washed, I'm sanctified, and then the last thing Paul says, but it's, it's who you were, it's not who you are. You're washed, sanctified, and then you were justified. Justified means de declaring the sinner righteous. It's a legal debt that has been paid. When, when I come to the Father, I come in debt, because I have sinned, I've rebelled against God, and I cannot pay for my own sin. It doesn't, it doesn't matter the good works. I'm not saved by good works, what Paul says. It's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. You can't do it, because God's standard isn't good. It's perfection. And I can't be perfect. I can be a good person, maybe, but I can't be a perfect person, no way. So I come in as a debt, and I have a debt I can't pay. It has to be paid for me. I have to be justified. The debt has to be satisfied, but it has to be satisfied by another, not by me. It has to be a gift from God, not by works, not by me, so that I, I can't boast about it. I didn't do it. It was given to me. 
So Paul comes in and he says, that, that's what happens. You, you did all these terrible things, partial lists, the list can go on and on and on and on and on. But that's who you were, it's not who you are. Because God has intervened and you've come home. And when he embraced you and you embraced his embrace, when you, when you accepted his mercy that he's rich in, his grace that he lavishes on you, his pardon that he gives freely, you changed. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Now what's fascinating is Jesus is saying the same thing as he's giving this parable, this illustration in Luke chapter 15. So let me show it to you. If you got your Bibles open up, to Luke chapter 15, and in this parable of the lost son, he shows the same thing. Let's just read the whole thing. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country, and there, was, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he, there it is, ready? When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, he went to his father, he repented. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He confessed his sin. He owned his odor. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. When the son came home and he was embraced by the father, the father said, I forgive you. I'm not worthy. Embrace my embrace, son. It's compassion, it's mercy, it's grace, it's pardon. And the father looked at the son and said, Let, let's go through this process that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But he does it symbolically in the story. He says to his servants, quick, quick, bring the best robe. The son is fresh out of the pig pen, right? So he's got no money. He's got no friends. Nobody gave him anything. He, he is just a hot mess, right? So he's in tatters. He, his hair's matted. He, he's got the stank on because he's been living with the pigs. He's a disaster. He comes to the father. The father runs to him. Father, I repent. Forgive me. I confess. Quick, bring the best robe. In the father's house, by the way, whose robe would be the best robe? The father's right? The fathers. Because teenagers are like, my clothes are cool. And I'm like, yeah, but I got money, right? So, so my clothes are the best clothes, right? It's the father's robe. He doesn't, it's, catch this, it's really important. He doesn't say, 
go get one of his old robes. He doesn't say, get into that pile that was going to the goodwill and get one of those robes out. He says, bring me the best robe. My son is in tatters. He's filthy, stinks. Bring my robe, the best robe, and I will give you my robe. I will wash you. I will give you my purity, not your own, not return life to what it used to be, not let's just pretend it's never happened. I will give my purity and replace your filth with my purity. Then he says to the servants, quick, bring me the ring, bring me the ring. Now we gotta go back to the ancient world for a minute. In the ancient world, when you gave a ring, think of an old movie, if the king was giving a ring to one of his adjutants, right? Or one of his governmental officials, here's the ring. Think of kiss the ring, or here's the seal of the ring, right? So in the ancient world, the ring, when it was given by someone in authority, it transferred authority and identity to the person who wore the ring. This ring identifies you as the person who can speak for the person who gave it to you. This ring identifies that you have the authority that comes from the person who has the authority. Quick, give me the ring, son. You're, you're, you are not that, you are this. That's what you were. Now you are this. You have my identity, not a story that's yours about how you cleaned your life up and straightened yourself out. You have my identity, and you have my authority. You don't come back here as a second-class citizen. It's my authority. I am sanctifying you. I'm setting you aside with my identity and with my authority for my purpose so that you interact, live for, even speak for me. Give me the robe, I wash you. Give me the ring, I sanctify you. And then he says to the servants, quick, bring the sandals. Bring the sandals. I'm gonna go back to the ancient world again. In the ancient world, the only person who was allowed to wear sandals in the house was the master of the house. Servants probably wouldn't even have shoes and would never wear them in the house. And the master would wear them. The only other people that would wear them are people who that the master decided were of equal or greater prominence than him. He would allow that person to wear sandals into the home. So when he says, quick, bring me the sandals, he's saying, this, this son of mine comes into his home. He's not a tenant He's not a squatter, right? He, he, he's, he's not a debtor in this home. My home is his home. He is restored to equal prominence of me. I washed him my robe. I sanctified him my identity, my ring. I justify him my sandals. The debt is paid. He's not a debtor in this house. This is his house, see. Went from rebellion to wild living to the pig pen to repentance to confession 
to washing, sanctification, justification. And it's not who I am, it's who I was. It's not who I am, it's what I did. And my identity has been changed in Christ. This is a really, really big deal. And I wanna be sure that we get our heads around it. So I wanna teach you a doctrine, okay? Say this word to your friends and you'll impress them that you know this word, okay? So I wanna teach you the, the, the doctrine of something being imputed or impudiation is sometimes how we say it, this doctrine, okay? So let me show you how this works. The doctrine of impudiation is this idea. If you take something into your life and you look at something that is inherently evil, okay? Like a cat, right? Inherently evil. I'm a cat. Look at me. I have the heart of the devil in me, right? So here's the heart of the devil and the cat, right? So you take something that's inherently evil. Your cat wakes up every day and thinks about killing you, right? That's what it does. So when it's purring, it's really saying murder. It has an instinct to bury the dead, right? When it's patting your face, it's just trying to find an artery. That's what your cat, so it is inherently evil. You take something that's inherently evil and then something that's inherently innocent. I think this is St. Patrick. I don't know. I just took it off somebody's desk at the office. But he looks like St. Patrick. He's, he's the saint of things green and leprechauns maybe or something like that. I don't know. But let's just pretend. That, well, we don't have to pretend about the cat. This is true. The cat is inherently evil. And then St. Patrick, let's pretend that he's inherently innocent, okay? The, the doctrine of impudiation is this. Ready? It's when the thing that is evil, the thing that is guilty, when its guilt is transferred to the one who is inherently innocent, right? When the thing that is guilty, its guilt is transferred to the one that is inherently innocent. Ready? This is important. That's half of the doctrine. The transfer of the my guilt is transferred to the one who is innocent, is transferred to Christ, we would say, right? That's half the doctrine of impunation. Here's the rest of it, ready? And the innocence, the character of the innocent is transferred to the one who is guilty. The the guilt of the sinner is transferred to the shoulders of the innocent and the innocence of the innocent is transferred to the guilty. It's imputed, impudiation, right? It's it's a huge concept. Our, Our relationship with God, God's work in our life doesn't stop with the forgiveness of our sin. It is finished with the completion of the change of our identity. It's not son, come home, we'll clean you up, we'll get you sober, you knock it off, and life will go back to normal. That's not what happens when we repent and confess and come home to God. It's son, come home, my purity my robe, I wash you. You now have my purity. My ring, you have my identity. I sanctify you. My justification, 
You have my sandals on. I justify you. Now you look at that and you say, well, wait a minute. I mean, I, I would be like thrilled to like get out of hell. I bet you would. But God is so good, he doesn't stop with a get out of hell for free card. He shifts us, he adopts us as his daughters and sons. He brings us all the way into the family. His home is our home. His identity is our identity. His authority is our authority. His purity is our purity. It's, it's imputed, right? It's shifted back and forth. The guilt goes to the innocence and the innocence goes to the guilty, well, what about our sins? So sin's not a big deal? I mean, it's like God's just like, oh, I just forget it. You know, I was just kind of scaring you a little bit. No, what happens to our sin? Our sin is transferred to the innocent and the innocence is transferred to the guilty. This is what Peter says. For he himself, that's Christ, for he himself bore our sins. Your sins don't go unpunished. Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. It's not that your sin has no consequence. It's not that sin is not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Just come home. God kind of make it. No, no, no. Your sin has severe consequence. Your sin looks like the cross. It looks like the crown of thorns. It looks like the mocking of Jesus. It looks like him being sped upon, his beard being pulled out, him being beaten, the nails in his hands and in his feet, his hanging on the cross and his death. That's what your sin looks like. It was just imputed. Christ bore your sin, ready? And we, we carry his innocence. It's not my purity, it's the Father's robe, Christ's purity. It's not, it's not my identity. I got my act together, I finally grew up. It's the identity that is transferred to me when I'm adopted into the family of God. It's not my justification. I finally went to church enough. I finally gave enough money. I finally quit F-bombing enough. It's Christ's justification. He did the work because I couldn't do it. He paid the debt I cannot pay on the cross. And he didn't just get me out of hell. He gave me his innocence and his identity. And I stand before God not, not just as a sinner who kind of made it by the skin of my teeth. I stand before God as a child of God, the son, the daughter of God, the one, the one who has been saved and rescued. The greatest tragedy, the greatest tragedy of this whole journey is not that the son left home. The greatest tragedy would not be that he wound up in the pig pen. Ready? The greatest tragedy would be if he stayed there. 
The robe and the ring and the sandals are waiting. The penalty for sin has been paid. The greatest tragedy in your life is not that you wandered away from home. The greatest tragedy in your life is if you knew you could go home and you didn't. What breaks the heart of God is not that you went astray, it's the nature of it. What breaks the heart of God is that he gave his own son. Your sins were born by Christ on the cross. The work has been done. He did it while you were still a sinner. He knew that you were gonna sin. The greatest tragedy is that you live in tatters and stanky and destroyed when all you need to do is come to your senses. I don't have to live this way. I can't earn my way back to God. Well, of course you can't. I can never make this right. Well, of course you can't. I can, I can, I can never repay what I did. Well, of course you can't. It's a free gift. It doesn't have to be earned, it has to be accepted. So God just blows my sin off? Oh no, 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 no. He just paid for it already. It cost him his son. The tragedy would be if he gave his son and his daughter or his other earthly son, knowing that, decided to live in the pig pen. Child of God, listen to me. You who are in rebellion, you grew up, you were raised by a loving family, raised in the church, in a healthy church even, you know about the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Why are you in the pig pen? Come home. Come home. You who are in wild living, Got to sow my wild oats. All right, you did it. And you wake up every morning more insecure, feeling used again, feeling dirtier than ever. Come home. You who just decided, you know what, I just, God, you just bless me. Make my life go the way that I want it to go. And God gave you everything you wanted, and you went to the distant country, and you've run into a famine because there's always famine in the distant country. You've gained the world, but in the process, you can't find your soul. Come home. Your marriage, you guys are phenomenal roommates, aren't you? Kids are always where they're supposed to be. Got that house. But it's not happy. 
It's not healthy. It's not sexy. It's certainly Christless. Take your spouse's hand and come home. You don't know what I did, Jeff. You're right. You don't know how bad I sinned. I probably don't. But I know that while you were doing it, Christ gave his life for you. He already knows. He's already chosen to love. Just come home. Come to your senses. You don't have to live this way. And it's, it's not cheap grace. It's not shallow salvation. It's just paid for. And your robe and your ring and your sandals are waiting. Repent. Confess. Embrace your father's embrace. Come home where you were created to be. I want us just to marinate in this for a minute. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to be as still as you can be. Maybe bow your heads and pray if you want. And I, I actually asked Jordan to come out and sing this song. I love this song. and it, it's, a, it's a prayer and it's a declaration and it's a reminder. And as he sings it, would, would you take advantage of the quiet and the stillness for a moment? If you are in the distant country, if you have sold yourself to the citizen, and enough is enough, maybe use these words as your prayer. But you're left with a decision. Am I living in the pig pen or am I going to come to my senses and run to my father who is already running for me? Spend a moment with God as we listen to this, okay? Of your 
There's hope for the hopeless and all those who stray. Come sit at the table and come taste the grace. There's a rest for the weary, a rest that endures. Cause earth has no sorrow that heaven can cure. So lay down your Maybe enough's enough for you, right? It's, it's time to come to your senses and come home. Here's a prayer for you. Ready? If you, if you want to say it in your own heart and mind, you can. Here it is. Ready? God, since you're real, since you're real, I repent. I confess my sin. I accept your mercy and grace and your forgiveness. Adopt me. Cleanse me. My life is yours. Thank you for paying the debt. I'm home. If God wanted to get you, he would got you by now. The Bible says it's his, it's his kindness that draws us to repentance. It's not his wrath. All kinds of people know about God's wrath. The, the church has been tragically clear about what God thinks about certain issues. We've made our point. Doesn't change anybody's mind. It's not the fear of hell that draws us to repentance. We, we've been abundantly clear about the, the reality of hell. Hasn't changed anybody's mind. The message that is not often proclaimed is the kindness of God. 
The hardest truth in the Bible is not that we're sinners. It's that we're sanctified. It's not that you're filthy. It's that you can be washed. It's not that you owe God. It's that you can be justified. God, if you're real and that's true, can I come home? Another one of the gifts God gives us is the church. The church is a spiritual entity. It's not a building or a not-for-profit. It's a spiritual entity. It's us. And God gives us to each other. And so part of what we do is we help each other find our way back to God. So if we can help you, if you have questions or pain or confusion about what you've been taught, please let us know. We would love to help. We communicate on those connection cards back and forth, and so you can fill that out, put it in the box in the back. You do it online on the app. Just fire an email in, and and if we can connect, if you want that and need that, we'd love to know. If you've decided to come home, we'd love to know. All right. And we, uh, we all join the household of God go through this journey together. I'm going to pray for us and the rest of the band's going to come out. Two more songs. I Take advantage of these. These are proclamations, worshipful proclamations of God's glory, his unending love, his relentlessness, his abandon for pursuing us. And then the second song is about the freedom that comes from that. It's It's all, it's too good to be true. It's why we have to accept it by faith. I can't believe it. I have to trust that it's true. So I'll pray and then we're going to worship and we're going to proclaim and we're going to yell back to God who he is, what he's like and what he's done for us, all right? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that not only do we get to put our sins on you, but you put your innocence on us. That we, the Bible says, we are saints. We are a chosen people. We are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Thank you that through what you did on the cross, we can be adopted and you are our brother. Well, it's mind boggling. Thank you for that. Jesus, that that has to stir us and motivate us and cause us to view life and live life from a completely different position. So through the Holy Spirit, would you ingrain those truths deeply in our hearts and our minds and powerfully interact with us? We love you. Thank you for making it possible for us to find our way to the Father. As we worship and celebrate and proclaim those truths now, Jesus, stir among us in our hearts in your name.